Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 307 RPG Podcast. I'm Patrick. I'm Nolan. Hi, I'm Zach. Yeah, fellas, we took a week off to get over. I was dealing with uh, COVID at work, and then, well, I got struck with COVID. Thankfully, it wasn't as bad as it was the first time I had it, but that's how I've been this week. How about the rest of you? Uh, dealing with the same COVID running through our house. I uh, got to hang out with a little one and go to digital school with a five-year-old, which is terrible. I bet it is. But it's cool having people read to you again. So that was fun. But that was pretty much our week. Uh, we did make the horrible mistake of playing a little Diablo 2, which turned into me playing a lot of Diablo 2 while I wait for Lost Ark to come out. So. Oh, no. <laughs> what level of character are you now? Uh, I have uh, four characters that have, are at the start of Act 2 as I just kind of ran through and was playing and getting familiar with it. So I didn't get ahead of you guys too far. But I do have a bunch of magical stuff for everybody when we play again. So. That's awesome. <laughs> so, yeah, How about that, you, Zach? Uh, just hanging out, trying to stay healthy. Uh, that's basically it. I'm just, just treading water until Elden Ring comes out. Gotcha. Everybody's got games that they're waiting for. I did, of course, being stuck at home. I was able to work at home, which is nice. Um, but that also meant I had a lot more downtime than normal. Uh, some things that I was able to accomplish this week is I did finish. I'm making some final corrections on it now. But I, for the most part, did finish my final project for the degree that I was working on. So that's going to get submitted and should be wrapped up by probably Tuesday or Wednesday. And then um, I played a lot of Shadows of War as well as Diablo 2. Nice to play games. Yeah. Oh, oh. And yesterday, no, I'm sorry, Friday, I did watch the first three episodes of the Legends of Vox Machina. Oh, yeah. We watched the first one last night. Definitely don't watch it with the kids. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it is. Yeah. I got through the first two episodes. It's fun. Um, it's kind of nice to watch it. Like there's a couple times where I was watching it and I'm like, Oh, they're doing this. And Oh yeah. Now they're doing this. And so it was, it was definitely enjoyable. Yeah. I think it was well done too. Like from a quality standpoint, um, I've enjoyed the animation. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see all the little, uh, voice actors popping up as well that aren't a part of the cast. Um, right. Cause I just like, oh, wait, is that, Oh, it is. Oh, very cool. I did not, until I was watching the credits, I did not realize that General Krieg, wasn't that his name, was David Tennant. Was it really? It was. I was like, are you serious? That's awesome. It was because he didn't have to do an accent. That's just what he sounds like, and we're not used to it. (laughs) Right? Yeah, because it was definitely a heavier Scottish accent. Um, uh, Probably deeper, a deeper voice than what I'm used to hearing David Tennant speak in, but... Still, it, was, it it's good. I enjoyed it, uh, and I'm looking forward to the rest of it. That's pretty cool. I like yeah. the king. Is that uh, was it, Carrie Payton? Yeah. yeah. And I was like, is that Cyborg from Teen Titans Go? Because we've been watching that all week, and I was like, oh yeah, yeah yep, it is. That's awesome. Oh no, nice. yeah. Cyborg was his big break. Yep, yep. Then he got a Walking Dead, and now he's on Walking Dead. Yeah, they've got a great cast of friends and stuff like that. So it's really fun seeing some of them that they've played games with and other just big names. Probably easy when in a bunch of industry insiders are like, hey, do you want to just do your job, but with <laughs> us? Yeah. Well, I think that's uh, I, I think that's kind of the 
you get to do it for fun instead of getting having to do it. You know the people that are involved. You know you're going to have a, a good time doing it. So, and I think they all have a pretty solid reputation of being really good to work with as well. Otherwise, they wouldn't keep getting asked back as well. So. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, I recommend people go watch it because I think it's going to be a lot of fun. And it's just fun to, you know, sit down and watch something like that, that, you know, it's, 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 it's one thing to play the game and try to imagine it in your mind. It's another thing to be able to sit down, not have to worry about trying to play the game and just enjoy it, you know? And I think seeing how they envision their characters as well, like we've seen fan art and stuff like that and seeing them get to come to life too has been kind of a fun thing of uh, just for somebody that like, you know, we watch it, we talk about it, we've watched some moments in our household and it's like, oh, okay, that's what that looks like. Okay, I can see that, you know. And so now right. you have like a face to the stories and that kind of stuff. Right. We're going to go ahead and get into our topic because our topic is going to be really massive, which is why we're taking probably five weeks to discuss it instead of the the four weeks that we have been doing. So our topic for this month, if you will, is going to be Tolis City by the Spire. This is a Kickstarter that Nolan backed oh, a year and a half ago now, something like that. Uh, did get you know fully uh, well, what's the word I'm looking for? It was, of course, fulfilled. Nolan has a massive tome that bends his bookshelf whenever he puts it on it. Uh, so we're going to be talking about that this month. Uh, we're going to kind of talk about the history of it and a little bit into the player's guide as well, because there's a lot to this book because it, it weighs in at what, Nolan, close to 700 pages? Yeah, I think I think that's what the final tag was uh, with every add-on, everything like that, 690, 672, 672. 672. And I don't think this book is available through Drive-Thru RPG. Is that correct? I did not see it on there. Uh, I know they have it on their site. Yep. You got to go to Monty Cook Game. Yeah. Their oh, Kickstarter oh, did $782,000. All right. So it it is available on Mont- or on um I wonder if this is the right one. Yeah, it does look like it's available on uh, Drive Through RPG from Mile Havoc Press. Okay. okay, so you can get the PDF. I wonder if it's got. Oh, it does got a print option too. Yeah, so this is this is the book Monty Cook's uh, City by the Spire Tolis Core Rulebook. The PD you can get the multiple formats. I'm not, and I'm sure this is just like different PDFs or options of PDFs for sixty dollars. Or you can buy the hardcover premium book for $145, which is about $5 cheaper than buying it from Monty Cook's uh, website itself because it weighs in at $149.99. I have no idea how the shipping breaks out, but you know, for RPG books, that is that's fairly expensive. Mm-hmm. It is three times the size as as your standard uh, DD book. As the I think the player's handbook. For the fifth edition D and D, it's about six times the size at, for one of the adventures. Right. So now you can buy the hardcover standard color book, which I promise you, if you do this through Drive Through RPG, it's going to be on a heavier page, like cardstock, uh, not cardstock, but heavier paper st- or stock paper, which is going to make that book go from however many inches thick it is already now, and probably add one or two inches because it's just going to be it's thicker paper, and it's not the premium color paper that you're used to. Uh, you can get that for about $70 through drive through RPG if you wanted to save yourself a little bit of money. But 
And there is a bunch of stuff also for Tolis on drive through RPG if you're interested in that. But still, I mean, that's that's a big book and that's a big investment for something. And I know, Nolan, your your Kickstarter investment was pretty big, too. But you got you got everything. I did. Which is one of the reasons Well, one of the reasons he did that is because that is our goal is ultimately is we're going to be going into the world of Tolis to play it. Yeah. And I think. uh I don't know. I like the history behind it. It's one of the ones that I missed out on, I guess, as far as when I was going through stuff. I always wanted to play it in third edition and never, it's kind of that time of like, like this is something we need to do, let's build up to it, and then the group would fall apart, and this is something we mm-hmm. need to do, and then people moved away just from that time period. So it has always eluded me of living in this world for a little bit. Well, we are going to be getting to it as soon as we finish up our D&D campaign. I think that is the next one on our list. I don't know. We're going to have to like put things in a hat. One ring, Simbarum, <laughs> Tolus. I mean, we're going to have to, I don't know. We'll make John and Dom arm wrestle. And I don't know who decides who wins. We'll just put a sticky we'll on each other's forehead. Yeah, we'll put a forehead yeah. on the other. Okay, we're not going to tell you which game you're playing for, but win. Right. Okay. So I will have links to the book for drive through RPG in the show notes, as well as a link to Monty Cook's official site if you wanted to purchase it there. But Zach, you recommended that we start off with the history of Tola. So I'm going to throw it to you and let you kind of explain some of the history of this game. So Tola, settings, yeah, Tolis has a pretty important place in Dungeons and Dragons history, specifically. Uh, the lead designer of Dungeons and Dragons 3rd edition was Monty Cook. And when he was developing the game, him and all the other people who were creating it would test out what they were making by playing what they had. And they played in Monty Cook's setting of Tolis. So a whole slew of Dungeons and Dragons insiders have all played here. I think, Nolan, you said that Chris Perkins played Twins. And so he would play two different characters depending on who showed up. Well, and so I think during the time period of the playtesting, he was running two groups simultaneously because they were trying to get as much product and they both lived in the world at the same time. And so every now and then it'd be like, well, this group you know, took an extra long rest. They got beat up pretty bad. They took a week, whatever. Well, news of what happened, there was a major explosion in the market district. Something happened. A group of adventurers took care of it. But who knows what started it all or whatever. And it ended up in the other group accidentally blowing up something in the other group. And so they never necessarily inter- interacted with each other, except for Chris Perkins' character, who's a set of twins that was in each group. But neither neither group knew that he was twins, and they just thought he had weird personalities. Like someday he was like, I think it was like a mage and a warrior, and someday he was super magical and not wanting to fight. And other days he was trying to smash people's heads in. So perfect. Yeah. So this uh, it became quite a thing, and I guess when Monty Cook was ready to kind of move away from Wizards of the Coast, he took Tolis with him. Uh, It was published by. Oh, I don't remember the original publisher's name, but they published a 3.5 edition and it sold out immediately. You can find you can like find it on Amazon for like $500 if you wanted an original 3.5 Tolis edition. But finally, uh, you know, Monty Cook created the uh, Cypherson cipher system. And he had a world called Numen- Numenaria, 
And after they were done with that, I guess they decided, hey, this Kickstarter thing is really taking off. You know, let's give it a shot. Let's do Tolis. And I don't know, because Monty Cook is insane, like clinically, he was like, let's just make it a 672 page uh, gigantic monster with uh, the most detail that we can put into it. So, yeah, they did a Kickstarter, and I think they got, what, three quarters of a million dollars to make these books. And it's up and running. I know that it took a while to get out, um, and it's taken us a while to get into talk about it. But Actually, I think the delivery portion of this has been a lot faster than, well, in fact, I know it has, because there's been other Kickstarters that I backed before Nolan did this one, and he got this one a lot faster. So the delivery of this one was really good. There we go. It's yeah, just I, I was say, they did a good job with it. We were fortunate enough to have a good uh, conversation uh, about Tolis. Uh, right, with Sean Reynolds. Yep, with Sean. And uh, he was one of the people that worked on it, also spent some time with Wizards of the Coast, and now is doing this here. I still, I think since I've gotten the major book, um, I did get character portfolios for the players, so they have their own little character note things, uh, separate players' guides for them, a fat stack of maps, DM screen, NPC cards, uh, and then uh, what was the other thing? They got? Oh, uh, I, I'm still getting adventures as well, so they are converting uh, some of the 3.5 edition adventures to 5e, and I've been getting those as well from them. So it was, a, it was a good Kickstarter. I feel like the value is there for it because um, you could, I mean, it could be the only campaign you ever need. Uh, it's that big. There's enough intrigue. Uh, the world itself is just designed around this one location for the most part. From a standpoint of it, I, I believe that the world itself is covered in like 80% water. Uh, they're yeah. currently going through an ice age. Uh, and so there is very little exploration outside and there's this one mega continent and it was designed that way that if somebody couldn't be there that week or whatever, instead of saying, well, you're in the middle of a dungeon or like people just are delvers and they go underground. Uh, they look at like dwarven runes and history and what's going on there. And they come back up at the end of the day, just like a miner would in the coal mine or something like that. They go down, they mm -hmm. dig a little, see what they can find and they go home. And if you take a week off, like, well, my grandma's really sick and I got to check on her. You guys go ahead and hit the dungeon today and I'll catch up with you next time. And that way he didn't have to like try and role play people. He didn't have to find people. He's like, oh, no, they're taking care of something. They got a cold. They're staying home today. You guys have fun exploring the dungeon. So. Also don't have to worry about like coming up with a new place for a bunch of people who all have stuff to do and are all very busy. They're like, yeah, you've come to a uh, a brand new town. It's like, nah, man. There's four districts. There's a mine underneath. There's a tower that reaches into the sky, and so Monty Cook could just put a bunch of monsters together that he was tinkering with and see if all the fighters could deal with it. Mm -hmm. So I think as as time went on with this campaign, uh, the the following behind it, the uh, inability to get your hands on it uh, caused not more issues, but it became super popular. Uh, it, it is one of the largest uh, campaign settings ever put together by one person. It was at the time period the largest, but uh, I think their their claim on it is it's probably still true. They just didn't verify it. And 
so when you get the the book now, it has all of his notes in it. It has reference pages because it is so big. It talks about a character and it lets you know that they're up on page like 121 and this is their organization. Uh, so you can really just kind of fly through this book. Uh, so it uh, the anointed side of the tales here is super super handy, super convenient, and that is one of the major things I could say is the references for all these pages has made this very easy to not get lost. I do believe they've they labeled this as quote the most deluxe role playing product ever published. I know it got quite a bit of awards. It's still highly, highly, highly uh, revered between uh, second party. Uh, Websites to help you filter through it and stuff that you needed to click uh, to drive through RPG just has pages and pages and pages of Polis stuff, uh, the map system, the detail of the houses. I mean, it, there was a lot of care. I would have liked to have seen it over the world of what it started as and like, well, we need some place new. Guess what? We just added that fourth district and here's a, this is the new bar, this is the new whatever and just go with it, guys. So it's, it, it's really cool. I mean, it really is like a horrible way of like, you start off with a small little town and they just kept adding around it and you're like, holy crap, this thing got massive. I'm excited to jump in. I would like to actually play it. I would love to see if Monty Cook's personal sensibilities come through in 5th edition as well as they did in like 3.5. But I think that's the thing where we're going to have to play. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious to see, again, some of that stuff too. Of You get used to a style of game. We've played a few Scarred Lands uh, games and you get a sense of the world. Yeah, I don't. I, th I think some of the the races as well have some really interesting personalities in there. You play uh, a Wizards of the Coast product, and you kind of we've started to see how the feel for it goes. Here's kind of the story. You do something small, you get roped into something bigger, and at the end of the day, you're kind of saved by some higher NPCs. <laughs> and so we kind of see that kind of thing where it peters out at level twelve. Uh, this is a massive book designed to be here for the long haul and go as far as you want this you know you can go uh you can do your small stuff in the city you can deal with personal intrigue you can get involved in guilds you can go into the delves and there's a whole network of uh ancient dwarf runes uh, uh ruins uh dark elves have a thing going on there and then there's always the tower and the tower is kind of like well uh you know this is your uh tarot deck you know a deck of many things like let's Let's see how high up the spire we can go because something's waking up and, and this is going to be your final campaign story that you wrap up around the 20s. So so let's let's jump into the book because it's going to take us a couple weeks to get through this thing. Uh, let's specifically, we're going to look at A Player's Guide to Tolis, which I want to, it's important that um, our listeners understand that if you don't want to invest in the $160, $150 book for Tolis, you can just buy the player's guide. Uh, the player's guide is basically chapter one of this book. Uh, so it's about 45, 46 pages, something like that, maybe 50. And it, it will, I think it's got a little bit extra. The player's guide, thing like i think it comes with some character sheets right i i think that's correct i guess it's actually about 40 pages but i think you're right zach um i know i nolan when you got the kickstarter you did get five copies of that correct and i know that yeah. was I, the, the point being that you wanted it for each of our players but then i know like i've purchased one zach didn't you get one yep yep and i know dom one of our players he bought one the idea being be, that you can write in them 
and they kind of become your little journal that you can keep. And this gives us extra copies to use. So, um, yeah, there's Nolan's pack right there of them. <laughs> so let's luckily as a product, if you wanted to, you could get maybe the PDF of the Tolis fifth edition or cipher system, and you could buy a physical copy of the player's guide. Right. And, and pretty much be good. So you don't have to buy the 672 $150 book. Yep, correct. So let's talk about chapter one. Let's talk about the player's guide. Let's talk about what it is and, and kind of break down what our thoughts on it are. So obviously it talks, you know, chapter one gets into what is Tolis, uh, you know, kind of a welcome to the city, what a campaign in Tolis feels like. But I think where, where most people are going to be excited is probably the city of Tolis itself, because it really goes into some of the history of this city. What did you guys think? Yeah, I, I agree with it. Um, you know, from a, from a standpoint of having a 24 to 28 page book, depending on what it is, to give to your players and say, this is yours, this is your reference. Um, I know they have PDFs where you can print it for your table. Uh, they're really good about getting that out um, as far as that goes. But it, it really, it sets the tone. Here's all the stuff that you need to know. There aren't a lot of secrets on the top level. And so it, 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 there's just so much information of, you know, these are the districts. This is what you're going to find there. You may not know specific people, but you do know that, like, you know, in the old town, you have to watch out for this group. They kind of run it. You're stepping into their turf. Mind your manners. The noble houses are up here near the spire. I mean, it really lays it down to even, you know, you almost get off the boat and here's your here's your tourism center saying, here's your packet of tolas. Mind your P's and Q's. Everybody's a fucking wizard. You ain't getting away with shit. This thing works because we all get along. Have fun exploring the dungeon. And away it goes. Right. I just drew a blank and I don't know why. So, <laughs> anyway, I think we'll probably try and talk about player about chapter one, which is just a player's guide today. Um, and it's going to take us a while just to get through all of this. It is. Yeah. Yeah. And I think breaking it down to kind of each section again, uh, the big thing, if you're looking at this and you're like, wow, it's too much. There are tons of resources for references. The book itself has references for things. I happen to have a, a DMs guild and it says like, well, you're in Midtown. What are you looking for? You know, entertainment here's, you know, drinks, gambling, uh, theater, uh, you know, whatever prostitution. I mean, here's, you know, Here's if you're interested in, this is where you're going while you're here. Again, it flows fairly naturally. Uh, getting used to each individual area is going to take a little bit of time, but for the most part, it's it's well laid out for you. So don't be intimidated by that. And as a player, again, this is just kind of, this is going to be home base. Uh, that's not saying that you won't need, you know, certain skills when you're dealing with either like a thieves guild, or if you do decide to become a delver and go underground and explore that stuff, you know, you'll still have room for your rangers. You'll still have room for your survival stuff. So don't be intimidated as a player as well, because you, it's literally designed to challenge every class everywhere. Because again, it was a massive playtest. They were trying to break things and trying to find things that work and don't work. Uh, Lots of social skills, lots of dungeon skills. I mean, build whatever you want. You'll find a home. So, All right, so let's let's dive into this. So it talks, like, immediately we talk about welcome to the city of Tolis. So what is the city of Tolis? Tolis is a port city, and you are a native of this port city. I think they said the population of Tolis is about 75,000 people. And right. you, 
the unique feature about Tolis is that there is a spire that sits kind of at the top, if you will. It's kind of in the middle, but at the top, because Tolis looks like it's built on three different levels. I know there is like the, the spire where the noble class is, and that spire is important for everybody to remember because that's a dungeon in and of itself. Adventurers go into the spire all the time to, well, get treasure. And, and do heroics. There's also a dungeon underneath the city, which is like the city sewers and such. There's a ton of stuff down there. So you have the spire level. Then you have uh, the middle class. And I think it's the merchant level after that. Is that correct? I think so. And it, so it's built on these three different tiers. And it's very reminiscent of Germanic cities of old. Yeah, I think they're going for a real strong early Renaissance feel. Right. Yeah. And so the, and the to keep in mind with Tolis is that, you know, Nolan did say there's something for everybody, but it is very important to remember that Tolis is going to be your home base. This is where you're going to do most of your adventuring. You're probably you may not ever leave the city, leave the city as like leave the city air quotes here because you may just go into the dungeons or you may just go into the spire and then finish your day adventuring in the spire. Come back to your favorite tavern to have a nightcap and then go home you know, uh, and get up and do it all over again in the morning. So it's important to remember that you may just be in Tolis the whole time. Well, and again, with the world, the realm of being 80% water, it does open up some stuff for some ship things. But for the most part, there isn't a lot of other places to go. So... Well, and much like Morkborg and the other areas that they have, like I know there's the the Pirate Kingdom where they it's like a couple of paragraphs of each of these areas, enough to give a DM some ideas that they can you know like use, but it doesn't go into the depths of Tolis itself, of the city itself. Uh, of course, you have good versus evil throughout the entire thing, and I and I remember correctly, they say that basically every fantasy trope that you can think of has been addressed in this book, because they are absolutely embracing all of it. Yeah, and and again, uh, the everybody comes here. There, it's a sense of purpose of adventuring, and so you will walk down the street and you will see wizards casting magic in the open. You have law enforcement that is high magic because they have to deal with everything that comes through those gates. There are minotaurs walking the streets. Orcs are right next to dwarves. I mean, at this point in this world, it is again. Everybody's here for the purpose. It's a, it's the great gold rush. There's opportunity. There's money to be made, and it's just better if we all get along because there's something more sinister at foot. Below, you're always in the presence of a spire that used to be, for all you knew, you know, has a great history behind it of evil necromancy. Um, so again, the, you don't you don't come here. You come here to get rich, basically. And whether you're getting rich off of the merchants coming in selling goods and starting a forge or you are going to be an adventurer yourself. I mean, there's opportunities. So uh, lots of organizations that gets covered in this first part. So again, if you want to join a guild, there's something for you. So again, as a, as a player, make whatever the hell you want with anything that you want because you're not alone here. You won't be the one-off special unicorn never seen before turtle rolling through town. You'll probably be three of them and there's going to be like a little area where you guys go hang out at a bathhouse or something awkward. So, 
I want to read this directly from the book. It says, in a way, the campaign is a fantasy gaming with the volume turned all the way up. Creating this city did not involve building a fantasy world first, then adapting the rules to make it work. Just the opposite, really. As a setting, Tolis has been under the influence of RPG rules for a long, long time. The things that make fantasy gaming unique, the prevalence of magic, including the specific spells we all know, the ever-increasing power of individuals and the creatures common in the genre, have shaped the reality of Tolis. And because I used I used this setting as a playtest backdrop as I worked on the design of third edition core rules, Tolis influenced the D20 system rules as well. This is a setting steeped in game history and significance. So yeah, like Nolan says, you don't you don't have to hold back. You can create whatever you want uh, within the confines because there is some come some character classes that they specifically say are for the most part NPCs. Yeah. So, yeah, so the, primarily your game is going to take place within the city and you're going to be doing everything in the city from dungeon diving to uh, adventuring in the spire to drawing on, you know, campaign or urban campaign settings um, or, or stories, which is all a lot of fun. If you think about like Waterdeep, I know we've, we've grabbed about the how Waterdeep was laid out, but at the end of the day, it was completely an urban setting. And it was, I think, one of the more fun campaigns we had because we always felt like there was something going on, whether it was working in the inn or doing something else within the city itself. And I love the idea of rooftop chases. I don't know why. Because they're great. Exactly. Especially in Bell Rear Falls. Yeah, exactly. Oh, and then I had to miss the next one. Uh, anyway. They, uh, yeah, I, I think he, he the, talks about it again with that thing of, um, you know, when, when creating the, the world itself, um, he, he was talking about uh, when he wrote Dungeon Master's Guide, uh, third edition Dungeon Master's Guide, the merchants might hire a wizard to use detect thoughts and see invisibility to their crime, and that bars might post signs forbidding detection spells so the patrons can relax. He said he was thinking of Tolos. Uh, you might, a street might be blocked off because of a web spell. And instead of the city watch being like, oh, God, who's doing it? You'd be like, not again. God damn it. Okay, let's get the cleaning crews in here. You know, come in with some dispel magic. So let's get these webs out of here. It's, you know, it's, silly kids you know whatever so again that kind of stuff is i don't i don't high magic but just more common uh we always talk about like you know why wouldn't everybody have an unseen servant like doing the dishes right like i mean it's a it's a level one ritual like if you can do magic make your life easier well these are going to be the places that you're going to see it um, and so i think that being the start of the player's guide uh, again is again it's if if you want to do it, it's going to be here. If you want to find it, it's going to be here. Nothing's not necessarily off the table, but it's just, again, it's here. So go crazy with character creation. Um, and so, yeah, that's that's it. So as a native of the city, what do you expect? Exactly. And, and I love that the player's guide itself, because again, this is chapter one of the book. Uh, the player's guide itself gives you as the player so much that you really do want to keep this book with you as you're playing, because maybe you don't want to memorize what happens at the docks or where the docks are located, but you can quickly grab your player's guide and be like, oh yeah, that's right. The docks are at this level. And this is, if I want to get this kind of stuff, I should probably go to the Rivergate district or, or maybe I need to go to the Warrens or, or the temple district, you know? Those are the kind of things that I like about this because it gives your players something to hold on to while they're playing the game and it allows them to flip through the book and find things that could be specific to their character that maybe they didn't think of during character creation. 
So even if you just bought the player's handbook, you're already, you know, doing very well. And again, it's something that you can hold on to that's nice to have with you. Um, I also know that I believe the player's handbook is a free PDF as well. So I think that's correct. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, he, uh, they want you to have it. It makes your games a lot easier. You have a reference point. So again, I, I like that. I like, and I like handouts as well as a player as well. So you can go back and I don't have to look at a 600 page tome and know here's, you know, 24 pages. So I've got a general idea. And for the most part, it, it is talking about the theme of the city, uh, what to expect out of the campaign. Uh, and then, it, you know, about five, six pages in, it jumps into the city itself. Uh, who's ruling, who's on the light, who's on the dark. Cause there's, you know, you'll, you'll know that there are criminals. I mean, we all know that like, you know, you stay away from this area. Uh, the people, the districts, uh, what to expect. So again, it's all right here at your hands. First 24 pages. So then we get into like important individuals of Tolis, where they break down a ton of NPCs that that uh, DMs can use throughout their games. Uh, I like that. I like that it includes that. Of course, there's a really nice map of Tolis itself um, with a lot of keys and stuff that people can look at. And then they can even give you some historical characters. That, you know, maybe you've heard the story of Abesh Runahan or or of Delian von Tessel, right? The first emperor of Tarsus. Maybe you, you've heard stories about that person. And and again, it's that that idea that you have this thing in your hands that as the DM talks about, maybe he's trying to tell you a story that a bard's telling and, and use these characters. You can see that, oh, OK, that's who that person was, because odds are your character probably would know that because they grew up in Tolis. So there's also history. There's also a timeline of of Tolis and how it came to be. Uh, chapter one really goes into a ton of without having to go into detail, without getting into the like minutia. I think this is a way of just being like, hey, you're concerning like thing like that. So it's going to be your basic. Here's a wizard. Here's this. Now, I'd imagine uh, this will work well with the 5e player's handbook uh, for D&D. So make sure you work with your DM on that. Yeah, they have uh, the, the most common races and then they have the minor species. And this is where it is. You can bring in those that you're not you don't usually see, uh, you know, if you want to be if you want to be a minotaur, if you want to be an orc, tiefling, uh, a lion, uh, that kind of stuff. Right. And it does say that those are typically NPCs and make sure you check with your DM first. Because I saw ASMR was an NPC. Tiefling was an NPC, which has surprised me about Tiefling. But in 3.5, they were like supposed to be extremely rare. So I know our listeners can't see this, but I know you two can. Page 38 of the player's handbook has a piece of artwork that overlooks kind of an area, a bird's eye view, if you will, of the city of Tolis. And I tell you what, guys, that is a frameable piece of art right there. I'm looking yeah, at with that the, with the four winged bird. Yeah. Every time I see that, I'm just like, wow, that is just a beautiful piece of art. And that's another thing that I think speaks to this book is they really spared no expense. Um, Nolan, yeah. you have the book in hand. Uh, what's the quality of the paper like? I'm really curious. I'm always curious about that. Uh, it, it does describe the kind of how you were like with that nicer card stock. Um, I think the translation from print to PDF there, I mean, what you see is, is exactly what you 
you get. But it is it is a nice quality. I don't feel like it's going to rip or break down. And again, you don't carry it for too long because it's I don't know, it's probably almost five pounds. How's the so one of the things that I had issues with Mage 20th Anniversary Edition, it was such a massive book or even any of the 20th anniversary editions from um, Onyx Path. When I did the print on demand for some of those, the binding itself, um, the spine itself did not work very well. And sometimes the glue would come undone because it was just such a massive book. How's it holding up, Nolan? It looks like it is several uh, different little books together. So it's not just one. Um, I can see it looks like one, two, three, four. Is it glued or is it bound? Yeah. It looks like it's glued on the spine. Okay. Uh, and then it, it does look like there's, I don't know, 12 to 13 individual little sections glued in. And then I've got three, looks like little ribbons for placeholders, which is nice. Three nice. ribbons. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's a reason that we used to have to make these books out of, leather right they had to be sewn together and i know and there's nothing wrong with using glue it's great because otherwise we wouldn't be able to get books out to everyone yeah but when you have a large book you do have to be careful and so i would say that that's a thing you have to be cognizant of if someone was thinking like hey this sounds really cool you know what i'm just gonna splurge and get a 200 or a 600 page book you do have to be careful right. when you have a book that big. You do, yeah. And and I hope people take that into consideration. Um, and that's one thing, like, when they talk about on DriveThru RPG, I think DriveThru RPG's, RPG's print-on-demand tends to be very, very good. My fear, especially when you get these bigger, heavier books, like I said, the 20th anniversary editions for most of the World of Darkness books are large and very thick books. That's why I would hesitate to buy the standard copy or are color pages because they're going to be thicker pages. It's going to be a much thicker book, higher chance for it to break down. If I were to buy this book, I would probably splurge and get the highest quality one because I want the, the, the different pages that aren't as thick and that can hold up a little bit better to constant page turning. Um, yeah. And I would probably end up buying the multiple format ones. So I had the PDF as well. Yeah. It's, it's just an aspect of books. I love having a book with me, but Right. I I have to replace books all the time. Not because anything has happened, not because patrons mistreat their library books, but just because Brandon Sanderson will not publish a book that isn't 400 pages long. Right. Like, they're just going to fall apart. So you got to be careful when you have books that big. Yes. So the last page of chapter one, is I love this. It's bullet points on uh, living in Tolis. And I, I like that, that they, they even go down to the detail about like what a piece of silver is called, be it a shield or a shiny, um, that there's no such thing as banks here, but you can rent a space for a personal vault. Um, Ratmen live in the sewers. These are things that you just know living in Tolis, right? And, and I think, again, this is one of those things where uh, it's nice to be able to give this to your players because this is something that they can look at and be able to say, Oh, okay. Whereas did you know that a coin in Waterdeep was called a dragon? Did you know that, you know, these were the different houses of, of Waterdeep? Maybe not unless you did the time to actually research that stuff. Um, so now being born in Tolis, you're able to look at this stuff and say, Oh, okay. All right. I can see how that works. Oh, Oh, there's rat men that live in the sewers. 
Right. And I love that that's not like, I think this just speaks to like the subtle humor throughout the book that you can kind of find. But in a bullet point of extremely like common things, like, hey, you know, like, here's how money works. It's like, oh, no, there's rat men in the city. Just just. Yeah. No, we all know that. Right. So do we want to look at chapter two real quick? Because it's only about six pages long. Sure. So chapter two gets into the world itself. And this is what I was talking about earlier when I said kind of like in Morkborg, where they, they do this thing about, OK, here's the different areas of of the city of the world. Um, and 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 here's a quick description. It's not enough that you're actually going to be able to you're like it's I'm sorry. It's enough that it gives the DM enough in stuff that they can say, okay, we could develop something out of this, but it doesn't go so deep that it makes a book a thousand pages long. Yeah. It gives you an opportunity to, for your characters to be, you know, from someplace that maybe isn't told us. So if you have a character, you know, that doesn't, Again, you have a new person joining a party or something like that that they're not super familiar with. Tolos, well, they could be fresh off the dock, and you give them a little thing like, "Oh, yeah, you're you know, you're from the Moon Silver Forest. Uh, this is what you knew, but you're fresh to town. Good luck." And right. Go from there. Uh, Tolos is um, the world of Tolos is called Primal, 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 P R A E M A L. What do you guys think, Primal? Yeah, me neither. We'll say Primal. Medium-sized world, a bit smaller than Earth, has one sun and three moons, of uh, which the, I think right? there's two moons. There may have been a third, but it's and see, and that's the, I love that they put in red. Should it Valis, I believe it's what it's called. Should it ever return? Which yeah. obviously that could be a storyline or story hook there, or maybe that's something they're leading to. And it sounds like Valis is the moon that kind of like powers magic. Something. Right. There's something special with this unseen moon. <laughs> the land is referred to as the Empire, referring to the Empire of Tarsus and has ruled for the last 700 years. It does. I mean, it goes into as much depth as telling you that the year is 364 days long. There is 24 hours a day in a in or 24 hours in a day, as well as seven days in a week. Um, it doesn't tell me what the days of the week are called. So I, yeah, just use your best there. And then it, and again, then it just goes into breakdown of each of the areas out around Tolas. Yeah, uh, I do like that, again, with the, the little side notes that you get from here, uh, Tolas in perspective. In the world at large, there is no dungeon to explore or adventure is not a common career choice. Newcomers to Tolas from elsewhere find the aspects of city life very strange. Also odd-seeming are the number of gods other than Lothian that people worship there. Uh, Tullus have had a, a casual attitude about danger, evil, and general weirdness when compared to their fellow other parts of the world. I, yeah, so uh, a bit of reference for that is that I believe arcane magic throughout the Empire is prohibited, and so is worship of anyone except for the god Lothian. But gotcha. Tullus is apparently... Uh, far enough on like the periphery of the empire and dangerous enough that people just don't really care. So you have about five pages of different areas around in and around Tolis. And then you finally come to the end of this chapter, which is the languages. And they're very specific about some of the languages that they have listed here. Yeah. And I think that's really cool. I do too. I, I always love it when languages come into play in a game. Cause it's right. just like, you know, cause it, I think it's such a great, thing to have especially because it gives one character a chance to be in the spotlight just by virtue of a background choice rather than class or stat 
So yeah. having all these extra languages is just great. Right. So maybe your mom is from, uh, what does they call it? Palestine. And you speak Palestani and you're constantly like one of your character traits is you're constantly swearing in Palestinian. and everybody's like, what, what the hell did you just say? Yeah, exactly. Or you get to find a note that's in Orcish and yeah. maybe your character, like one character speaks Abyssal and one character speaks uh, Western. And then between the two of you, you're able to figure it out. Or an and undercommon. I like that they said that Undercommon is a derivative of Elder Elvish mixed with Abyssal and Draconic. I don't think I've ever heard Undercommon explained that way before. Right? And I, don't, I love that certain languages are like combinations of other languages. Like maybe, you know, two of you might be able to figure this out. Like you find a note and you're like, oh, wait, what are, what are these guys? Like you sneak up on someone and you're like, what are they saying? I'm like, well, I speak Elvish and they keep talking about, I don't know, like bread and then another person's like no I, I speak draconic it's not bread that means money right <laughs> like, oh, okay i, I got gotcha. you so that's the first two chapters uh we're kind of running out of time here do we want to look at chapter three do we want to save chapter three four and five for next week i think we're gonna have to wait until next week um okay one yeah, i just leave off with like favorite okay. thing that you've read about tolis the just in the players uh just in the player's guide Sure, we could do that. Nolan, you were going to say something first? Oh, I just, as I say, I think the, the, you know, the next chapters are fairly small, but they are going to be more into that uh, character creation section. Uh, this is going to be some of the species, uh, the deity system, so you can kind of get your gods going. I know that there are some specific backgrounds uh, that you can take that are tolus, um, but a part of that background situation, too, is somebody that you will know that might be a well-known crafter or something like that, and then also kind of where your home district is. And I think that really helps a new player as well to be like, okay, I don't need to know everything. I'm from Old Town. I work at a forge. This is who I know. When we get to Old Town, I'll be a reference point. You know, I'm, this is kind of where I hang out. So, Zach, so you talked about some of the favorite things you've read in the Player's Handbook so far. And unfortunately for me, that's going to be a little bit further up in the chapters, but I do just want to touch on it quickly. So maybe this is a little foreshadowing. It's a prison world. Yeah. And... That when I read that, I was like, oh, shit, that's really interesting. And for some reason, that just stuck, struck me as unique and fascinating. And the fact that there's those seven chains that kind of hold everything in place and that they can be broken. And a lot of it's tied to Valis. And I'm like, oh, there is some there's some depth here. Mm -hmm. So for me, that's that was one of my favorite things that I read. And I guess we'll talk more about that next week. But yeah, yeah, uh, I, uh, good. My number one like thing that I think when I was reading the player's guide just like really struck me as super interesting is that there's a, a bit about spells and it says flatly that characters should rename the spells that they choose. And it struck me as just something that's like almost fundamentally like cookie-in, I guess is how I would describe it. Like, like the, the players who first played in this world we're literally inventing the spells while they play tested this. Like, yeah, Magic Missile was existing, but like they had to change how Magic Missile worked. So the idea of changing Magic Missile to Inori's slap of retribution, even though the spell still works the same, I think it's just like that's a really great way to get players, one, to think about their characters, but also to tie back to how Tolis was being made. Yeah. Because the people who were uh, coming up with, you know, 
those 3.5 spells, how burning hands should work. Like, that person got to make a character and try out burning hands. Yeah, that was very cool. Yeah, I think it's great. I think it's just a little bit of, it's both character, but it's also like tying, ties you back to that 3.5 creation. How about you, Nolan? Uh, one of my things came from a side note. Uh, it is, uh, I, I believe uh, Imperial Common is the number one language that is taught to by most people as these other languages fade out. The wealthy people can learn uh, Elvish and another language. But the one thing I like about it is one of the side notes says, if you are ever talking to somebody in Elvish and they understand Elvish, you have advantage on persuasion checks because Elvish is such a fluid and lovely language. It's hard to be an asshole in it. Um, and I think it says you can insult people in Elvish. It's just really hard. So you have advantage on, as long as they understand Elvish, it's so nice that you have advantage on persu- uh, persuasion checks if they understand it, which I thought was like, uh, okay, like, you know, some of that humor and stuff like that. Like, oh, it's so lovely. Like, I can't, and, you know, you smell like shit. Well, I, well, thank you. Like, I appreciate the compliment and, you know, I, I work hard on it. And you're like, but well, that's not what I was going for. It's like, well, stop speaking in Elvish. But when you're, when you're speaking Elvish, that actually just means that you sound like soft, verdant undergrowth. Right. And they're like, oh, thank you. And like, God damn it. And that's not what I bet. So again, some of the flavor of the area, some of that 3.5 uh, third edition type stuff that kind of comes out as well. I don't know. Uh, and, and then just in general, we've talked on it a little bit, but the art, I, I enjoy the art style. It does give me the throwback feels of old school art. Characters look like characters. It's not crazy, crazy detailed. There's enough vagueness to a lot of it that you can fill in the gaps and make it what you need it to do. But uh, yeah, a, a free player's guide to give to your players uh, is is awesome just in general it makes things so much easier going to a new campaign setting it does especially if your players take the time to go through it and read it it's only 30 35 pages long and 39 pages sorry 39 pages long that they can you know even if they just tab it like hey this is you know i want to go to this for this section this for this section and maybe they don't read it all but they read it as they need to that's still a huge help that for for dms and in games in general so Mm -hmm. So that is going to be our show for this week uh, as we continue or as we begin our journey into what is Tolis. Uh, next week, we'll be looking at the next couple of chapters. Again, this is a massive book, so it's going to take us a little bit of time to get through. We didn't want to do it all at once because, well, then we'd be sitting here recording the podcast all day long and nobody would listen to us. So, uh, fellas, do you have anything else you want to say before we wrap up for the week? I don't. Zach? Bring back A's thrash metal? I don't know. I mean, that's what you always say. I do want to say, so I just finished, I'm going to hold it up so you guys can see it. And I think I've told you both about this book, The Lies of Locke Lamora. I just finished this book earlier this week. And, and I have to say, especially after reading you know, about Tolis, this would be a fantastic book to draw influence for an urban um, story setting. And because uh, it's just really good. And as I was reading the there's a, an afterword by the author, uh, he specifically cites uh, players of the RPG Deeds, Not Words. And I don't know if either of you have ever heard of this RPG. No. Apparently it is free to get on drive through RPG. So I did grab a copy of it. Uh, I will be taking a look at that. But uh, I like being able to find things like this. Number one, it's an amazing book. I highly recommend everybody read The Lies of Locke Lamora. Um, but I like being able to find things like that and be like, oh, okay, here's an idea for a, an urban setting. And, and be able to apply that. Because you could take that story 
and, and, and apply it in a world like Tolis, especially with all the guilds and things like that. So look for influence everywhere. That's the point of that. And read the book. <laughs> Yeah. So that is our show for this week, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. Join us next week as we continue this look through Tolis. Until then, thanks, everybody. Bye. Bye.